The purpose of the seminar was so that they could learn and prepare and train for when it was their turn to go to prison. 40% uh, of them in the group had been to prison, 60% hadn't, and they were preparing for when it was their turn. They were preparing to do what God had called them to do. One of the quotes that came out of that is that you can only take into prison the scripture and the worship songs that you learn before you go to prison. So they were encouraging themselves to learn worship songs, to memorize scripture so that when they were in prison, they could do what God had called them to do. You know, sometimes bad things happening to good people, bad things happening to Christians is actually part of God's plan. It's actually part of God's will. And I, I will tell you right now, it's very easy to stand here and say that to you. We're safe in Boone. Uh, we're not persecuted. Uh, it's very easy to stand here and say that. But for those persecuted Christians, it's actually true when you look at their attitudes. Paul writes this in Acts. He says, and now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me. To complete the task that Jesus has given me, even if it means hardship and suffering. The task itself, and this is the, the so what moment, the task is testifying to the good news of God's grace. That was Paul's attitude before he went into some hardships that he knew was coming. He knew he had a task. He knew God was asking him to do something, and he was ready and willing to do it. We've been looking through uh, in church some of the letters that Paul wrote from prison. And recently we got a chance at Smart's Purse to share in a letter that another pastor wrote from prison, Pastor Saeed. Many of you know Pastor Saeed's story uh, in prison in Iran uh, for his faith uh, in very harsh conditions. In fact, he writes in the letter that uh, he's bullied by guards um, and other prisoners, not just the guards, but the other prisoners. The, the pressure and the abuse is horrific at times, uh, mentally, but also very, very physical. Uh, that's what he's dealing with. He's carefully watched. They wanna see how he reacts, how he responds, they want to see what he does. They want to see if his faith is real and how he lives out his life through his faith. And this is what he writes in the letter. He says, because I want to serve God, I see all these difficulties as golden opportunities to shine the light of Christ in this dark world and to let God use me. How's that for an attitude when you're in an Iranian prison under sentence of death for your Christian faith? And that's what I want to focus on a little bit today. What has God taught me about praying for persecuted Christians through some of the persecuted Christians that I've met and I've read about? What are they saying? They're not always praying for release. They're not always praying for protection. They're not always praying to be taken away to a safe place. In fact, this is what Pastor Saeed asked prayer for. He says in his letter, it is during these harsh conditions that I deeply need God's saving grace so that I can be the fragrant scent of Christ in this dark house. Now, it's a good thing to pray for Pastor Saeed to be released, for him to be reunited with his family. We had the privilege of having his wife, Nagma, come and speak at Smart's Purse uh, three or four weeks ago. And you know what her message was? 
her message was, thank you, Jesus, for the opportunities that I get because my husband's in prison to share your good news with people who want to know. She wants to be back with her husband. Of course she does. She wants her family reunited. But she knows that right now, this is the task. This is the job. This is what God has asked her and her husband to do. And she doesn't want it to end until they've done everything that God has asked them to do. Paul says this in Philippians. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. So today as you pray, please do pray for protection, pray for safety, uh, pray for release from prison, but also pray for the thing that these persecuted Christians are asking for. They're asking for your prayers that they will be strong, that they will be courageous, that they will have the words to say, that they will be faithful. That's what they're asking strength for. That's what they're asking for prayer. So please remember that as you pray for them today. And so we have been asked, will you pray? Today is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And make no mistake about it, the Church of Jesus Christ is being persecuted around the world. In your bulletins is a watch list of some 50 countries of the world where significant persecution is directed toward Christians. Um, that's about one quarter of the 200 or so nations of the world. But if you run the numbers by population, those 50 nations account for about 60% of people in the world. For six out of 10 in the world, it costs greatly to be a follower of Christ. Number one on the list is North Korea. It's estimated that there are 100,000 Christians there, less than one-half of 1%, 100,000, but 30,000 of them are in prison for their faith. The Bible actually has much to say about persecution. Contrary to what we hear from many American religious leaders, persecution, trials, opposition are a way of life for followers of Christ. Prosperity is not the norm nor is it to be expected, nor is it to be pursued. On the day before he was crucified, Jesus said to his disciples, if you were of the world, the world would love you. They, they would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world for this reason, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And so to the present day, Christians are being persecuted, martyred, gunned down simply because they believe in Jesus. While a reenactment, this video is what happened in that church in northern Nigeria and happens all too frequently. Peter had some interesting things to say about suffering in his first letter to Christians scattered because of persecution. He writes this to the mistreated. What credit is there if when you sin 
and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience. In other words, if you sin and are harshly treated, you deserve it. Quit whining. But when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it. This finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose. Called for what purpose? Suffering. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Followers of Christ suffer. In our study of Paul's prison epistles, those four letters that he wrote during his first imprisonment, he had much to say about suffering. A couple of quick examples. To the Philippians, he wrote, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. So, so you mean to tell me prosperity is not our birthright? No. Suffering for the cause of Christ is to be expected. It is a gift of grace given us, not only to believe in him, but to suffer for him. Then in our study of Colossians, we found Paul takes suffering a, a bit further. He said in Colossians chapter 1, Now I rejoice in my sufferings. Why? I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. I won't take the time this morning to review all that Paul says there. It took me a whole sermon to do that. But let me sum it up uh, this way. I have, I have taken my share of suffering for the church. Because, you see, a certain amount of suffering has been granted to the body of Christ. So I rejoice that I am taking my share. I'm doing my part in suffering. When we looked at that, I suggested that while, while the early church may have been, gone a bit far in running toward martyrdom, <laughs> in the early church they actually wanted to die for Christ, we perhaps do not go far enough. We, we would never run toward death in the name of Christ. And yet suffering is to be expected in the Christian life. And our brothers and sisters are being persecuted, taking their share of suffering for the body. That means they're taking their share for us. So the question is asked of us, will you pray? Will you pray? A number of passages which encourage us to pray for others facing trial. Consider, for example, Hebrews 13. We're going to come back to that at the end. Hebrews 13, remember the prisoners as though in prison with them and those who are ill-treated since you yourselves also are in the body, in the church. So remember them. And when he says that, I don't think he means don't forget them. Oh, yeah, forgot all about Saeed. Remember them by doing what you can do for them. Visit them and at the very least pray for them. Ephesians 6, the end of that letter from prison, Paul says, pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly. That is, that is, well, that's convicting. 
He doesn't. He does not ask them to pray for rescue, deliverance, safety. Although I'm sure they did, I'm sure he appreciated it. But his primary concern was for the gospel and its bold proclamation. I mentioned this to you recently. You remember when the early church faced its first persecution. Peter and John had gone to the temple to pray in Acts chapter 3. There was a beggar there at the gate, lame from birth. Peter looked at him and said, listen, I don't have any silver or gold, but what I have, I, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the, uh, the Nazarene, walk. Don't have any money? How will this do? Walk. And he took the man by the hand who jumped up, went running and, and leaping into the temple, praising God, which caused no small stir. The religious leaders arrested Peter and John, threw them in prison overnight. The next day they were th interrogated, threatened, and commanded not to preach or teach in the name of Jesus anymore. Don't do it. So Peter and John went back to the church and reported what had happened, and we read the church prayed these words. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. That word is boldness. We've been threatened. We've been commanded not to preach Jesus. So, Lord, protect us? No. Help us to not only to preach Jesus, but do it loudly, boldly. So then in the next chapter, we read that Peter and the other Apostles were arrested again. Th this time, in the middle of the night, an angel opened the door and said, run, go hide yourselves from the coming persecution. Not exactly. Actually, what the angel said was, go stand and speak to the people in the temple, the most public of all places, the whole message of this life, this new life in Christ. And so they did publicly and were brought back before the religious authorities. Great surprise. This time it was not just threats. They were flogged. To be flogged at this time was a serious beating. They were released, told not to speak in the name of Jesus. And we read these rather amazing words. So they went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer for his name. Did the early church go too far in running to persecution? And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on. I love that. They kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. It makes me wonder if what the church in America needs is a good old-fashioned beating. So it's the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. We've been asked, will you pray? But what do we pray. Do we pray for rescue, deliverance? Sure, but what kind of rescue? A couple more passages which might inform our prayers this morning. Second Timothy. Most of you know that we are going through Paul's letters in the order that he wrote them. The very last letter that he wrote, the last one that we get, we'll get to, 2 Timothy. It was written during his second Roman imprisonment, an imprisonment from which he would not be released, an imprisonment which would end in his execution. He would be taken out to the Ostian Way, a road outside of Rome, where he would be beheaded for his faith. But he writes this one last letter to Timothy, his son in the faith, encouraging this young 
pastor to not be timid, to not be fearful, to not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ, but to go right on preaching and teaching in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's chapter one. Then chapter two, the things that you have heard from me and trust to reliable or faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Then he gets to chapter three and says, Timothy, you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance. Timothy, you've seen my example. You know how I've taught and and lived and and all of those things and and how I did it in perseverance because you know I needed it because next verse, you knew about my persecutions and sufferings such as happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. And, And out of them all, the Lord rescued me. Isn't that great? The Lord rescued me, really. Huh. I won't take the time to go back and read about Paul's first missionary journey, which took him to Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, found in Acts 13 and 14. But let me summarize. When uh, he and Barnabas arrived in Antioch, they preached the gospel in the synagogue on the first Sabbath. The, the, the second Sabbath, uh, everybody's excited, almost the entire city gathered to listen. But when the Jews saw the crowd, they were jealous, incited the people against them, and a persecution arose, and they drove Paul and Barnabas out of the city. That's rescue? I guess they didn't die. So, so, so they went to Iconium next, and we read that many people believed the gospel, but then, wouldn't you know it, some Jews who didn't believe stirred up some opposition. Soon an attempt was made on Paul and Barnabas' lives to mistreat them and even stone them. They had to flee the city. My question, that's rescue? That's what Paul called it. I guess they made it out alive, Right? So let's follow their journey to Lystra, shall we? And in Lystra, they healed a man lame from birth. Sounds familiar. He walked right in front of the crowds, and the crowds were so excited, they began crying out, the gods have come down to us. They thought Barnabas, Zeus, and Hermes, I mean, uh, Paul, Hermes. Paul immediately straightened them out, preached the gospel, all kind of cool. But then, wouldn't you know it, some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, stirred up the crowds. And they stoned Paul this time and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Now, usually you drag a guy out of the city, then stone him. They were so incensed, they switched the process around. Now, when you think stoning, don't think little rocks that guys, that little boys throw in water or at cars. Think big boulders causing welts. Um, and, and gashes and crushing and, and breaking bones. They drugged Paul out of the city, left him for dead. Some suggested he was, in fact, dead, but that God raised him. We read in the next verse, while he was lying in the ground, surrounded by some disciples, he stood up, went back into the city, preached Jesus, and laughed. That's rescue? A stoning? I I suppose he had that incident and perhaps others in mind when he wrote 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Try this on for rescue. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, this treasure of the light of the gospel, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, 
but not crushed. I guess that's rescue. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body um, the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we uh, who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in this mortal, that means dying flesh, so death works in us. That's rescue. Constantly being delivered over to death for Christ's sake. So maybe, just suggesting, maybe Paul has a different rescue in mind. Maybe rescue doesn't have anything to do with physical deliverance or comfort or safety or prosperity. Maybe he has in mind rescue for the sake of the gospel. The bold proclamation of hope which needs to be preserved and advanced. Maybe it doesn't have a lot to do with deliverance and rescue at all. Back in 2 Timothy, last chapter, last thing that he writes that we have record of. The beginning of the chapter, he says, the time for my departure, that means my death, has come. I'm about to die, and I know it. I'm being poured out as a drink offering. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I've kept the faith. He knows he's about to die, meaning he knows that this time, this time, he will not be rescued, right? Drop down a few verses near the end of the chapter, verse 16. At my first defense at court, no one supported me, all deserted me. May it not be held or not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. When attacked in court... He said, I stood alone, but the Lord stood with me, strengthened me, rescued me out of the lion's mouth. Who's the lion? The emperor, Satan, don't know. But the Lord rescued me. How did he rescue me? Was he free to go? No, he got to go back to the prison cell. Why did he rescue him? So that the proclamation might be fully accomplished, so that Gentiles might hear, so the gospel could advance. And then Paul had the audacity to say, and the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. I'm going to tell you, this guy is delusional. unless he has a different idea for rescue in mind. He's about to lose his head. Maybe a different rescue. Maybe the Lord bringing him safely to his kingdom was enough. How could people like Paul in the New Testament face such persecution and even martyrdom? Because they knew that this is not all there is. Back in Hebrews 13, and I'll close with this. We know that we, or we're told that we're supposed to remember the prisoners, those ill-treated because of their faith. And then a few verses later, the writer says, Therefore Jesus also because he had a purpose in mind, so that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, 
suffered outside the gate. So let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. How did they do it? Because they knew this is not all there is. They were looking forward to what lies ahead. We bear the reproach and sufferings of our Savior because we are seeking a city to come. So today is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. You have a watch list of some 50 nations of the world in which brothers and sisters face significant persecution. We are going to pray for them right now. And we will pray for their safety and deliverance. Sure, go ahead and do that. But we will also pray for their boldness. This, after all, is that for which they ask us to pray. We will pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ will be advanced because of their faithfulness in the midst of persecution. It is our responsibility this morning to remember the prisoners and to remember those ill-treated because of their faith. And I'm calling us to do that as a church. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take the next few minutes, and we're going to pray. And I'm asking you to pray, okay? Worship team, go ahead and make your way to the platform. I want you to turn right there where you are in small groups, 5, 10, 15, 20. I don't care. Gather in small groups, and across this auditorium, I want prayers to be offered on behalf of brothers and sisters who are facing significant persecution. After a few minutes, I will close us in prayer, and then we'll sing one final song and be dismissed. So right now, uh, brothers, sisters, we're praying. So turn in your little groups right now, small groups, little people. You can do this. Pray.